19, you know, one of the biggest enemies that you and I face as mankind is unhealthy insecurities. Now, I think some insecurities are healthy, but unhealthy insecurities. And what I mean by that, it's the comparison uh, of you to someone else, maybe someone else that is strong in areas that you're weak. Now, we all do this. We all have that, that somebody. In the Bible, uh, De- uh, Saul looked at David and was jealous of David. David was a good-looking guy, athletic. He was a warrior. He was a poet. He could play music. And Saul looked at him and was so jealous and insecure. David was strong in all the areas that Saul was weak. There are people that fascinate us. There are people that we look at, and they make us insecure. They just seem to have it all together in areas that we don't. Maybe it's the man with a better job. Maybe it's the family with a bigger house. Maybe it's the better mom, you know. I know the, the better mom, the one that has all everything in packages and they're all labeled, you know, the real organized mom. Or maybe it's the more spiritual person at church. They just, they they just seem farther along than everyone else. Maybe, whatever it is, you, you fill in the blank. Maybe somebody at work that does better than you. Or maybe a family member that has accomplished more. It's just, we look at these people, and we compare them to ourselves, and it's unhealthy. Now, listen to this. Unhealthy view of others always result in unhealthy results. And I'm going to say that again. You're like, I'm saying it again like it was deep. I know it's not, but... An unhealthy view of others always result in unhealthy results. And let me give you an example for that. Instead of looking at someone that maybe is better than you or stronger, here's what we never do. I want to get to know them better. I want to ask them questions. I want them to teach me. Imagine the person that you're kind of jealous of and going up to them and saying, will you teach me to be a better mother? Will you teach me how to to be a good worker? Will you teach me how to be a good church member? We don't do that. We don't want to get to know them. Here's what we do. We write down all the advantages of why they're better and, and how they're better. For example, well, of course, he works at Valero. His uncle got him hired out there. That's why I didn't get it. His uncle, you know. Of course, she's a better mother. Her kids sleep, you know. Of course, she's a better mother. You know, she only has one. I'm going to tell you something. If you only have one kid, you're on a honeymoon. You know, when we have four or five at home, it's a honeymoon still. You know, they, they have less children. Well, of course, he's more spiritual. My job and how many hours I work, I don't have time to study like he Of course, he has all the answers. Of course, she has all. See, that's what we do. Unhealthy comparisons always end up us being in bondage and doing less. Very rarely are you envious of somebody and it inspires you to do better. It's always bondage and doing less. And, and here's why this is important. Let's just take our view of God and his view of us. If we have insecurities with God, it will always end in us being in bondage and not doing anything for God. Here's what's interesting about church as a pastor. We're always needing help. That's the you know, as a member, you're like, that's the annoying thing about our church. They're always wanting somebody to help in the nursery or this, and they're always asking you to do stuff. I ask people, would you do that? I, and here's the response for most I, I'm, I would. I'm just not in a place where I should be. Right? You ever heard that? I'm just, I'm just not where I, I should be. You know, I would like to teach. Uh, I would like to help sing. I would like to do this. I would like, 
I'm just not where I'm supposed to be. See, that's an insecurity that is bondage that leads to what? No activity at all. And so here's, here's the point. You're like, yeah, what is the point? This is getting really boring. Okay, here's the point. When we misconstrue who God is, it always end up, ends up us doing nothing for God. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at a story in the Bible. Here's why I like the Bible. I'm, I am a simpleton. I was raised in Clarendon, barely graduated Clarendon. I like the Bible because Jesus always tells stories. And that's, that's how I learn is somebody telling a story. And so Jesus is going to tell us a story. Now, here's what's important when Jesus tells us a story. Let's imagine this, okay? God gives us an imagination. Let's imagine this story, all right? So we're going to have story time. Everybody get on the magic carpet. You know, this is just like school again. So let's hear what Jesus says, and just maybe we can learn about him, and maybe we could have the confidence in Christ to do more for him than we've been doing, okay? So let's just look at this. Luke 19, and let's just start in verse 11. Let me get in Luke 19, verse 11. Or let's just start in verse 12. Jesus is telling the story, and let's get into this, all right? Just imagine Jesus telling the story, we're getting into it. He said, therefore, a certain nobleman, this is, you say, what's a nobleman? That's just an important person, went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and return. And he called ten servants and delivered them ten pounds. And he said unto them, occupy Till I come. So this is very simple. That's why I love the Bible. It's simple. All right, you have this important person. He's a business owner. He calls all his employees. He says, listen, I'm going on a business trip, and here's what I want you to do. I'm going to give each of you some money. I want you to go out, occupy, that is, do business, and then when I come up, when I come back, we'll all square up. Now, there's some things that we can learn about this man just from these couple of verses. Number one, he trusted his servants. I don't know if you're a boss, but you've got to trust people. Jeremy, uh, well, he's kind of forced to, but he trusts Will that, that things will go on as they should while he's gone. So he trusts his servants. Now, here's the second thing. He does not micromanage. He, he says, listen, just take this and go out and do business. He doesn't tell them what business to do. He doesn't tell them where to go. He just says, you just get busy. That's all I want you to do. So he doesn't micromanage. He gives them an enormous amount of freedom. And then he gives them money. He gives them a good start. Now, let me ask you a question. Who wouldn't want to work for a boss like this? Who wouldn't want to work for this kind of boss that leaves you alone? He doesn't, he doesn't, he just leaves you alone. I love, when I was 16, I had been working for a farmer, and I got offered another job from this farmer ranch guy, mainly a farmer, and he was going to pay me $10 an hour. I mean, we're talking back, back when that was, I mean, that was like $10 an hour. He said, not only that, I'm going to give you a work pickup. Now, this work pickup, you know how guys are. This work pickup is the pickup that I would have went out and bought myself. So I'm starting to salivate, you know. He's $10 an hour. You get, and he gives me a gas key. Anybody remember gas keys? Not card, keys. They go to a big tank and you have a certain key. He goes, I'm going to give you a gas key. And he says, I'm not going to go with you every day. What I'm going to do is I'm going to write you a list of things I want done. It's your responsibility to do it. At the end of the week, we'll talk about it. Folks, I felt like a man 
I mean, it was all I could do not to take up smoking, where, you know, because I thought, here, I'm going to wake up in the morning, I'm going to drink a cup of coffee, I'm going to go out before I get my work pickup with my job going by myself, and I'm going to smoke this cigarette. I mean, I just felt so manly. And, and, you know, at my size, I haven't felt manly all that much, especially at 16. That he would trust me like this. I mean, seriously, trust me. And I felt so important. So here's what I, in my mind, here was my mindset. I'm going to, because you're treating me this way, like a man, I'm going to do the very best I can for you. So guess what? Monday morning, I got up early. I mean, I took this very, I mean, I got to pull trailers and do all this stuff and look important, look, look like a man, you know. I was going to do the very, it motivated me to do the very best. So this guy, we all would say, I think, I would want to work for somebody like this, right? I mean, this is my kind of guy to work for. Or would we? Or would we? Because if our perception of this man could be, uh, I see what he's doing. He's given me this responsibility. I'm only 16. He, he knows that I'm going to fail. He's just doing this so that I'll mess up. I'll break something. I'll tear something up. Something will get loose. Some, so I'll get in over my head. He's doing this to bury me. That's what he's doing. I mean, it sounds good, but uh, I know what he's really up to. See, see, this, it can become a bondage to us. That freedom can become a bondage if we misconstrue. And I know what that word means. I know you're like, well, that's a pretty big word for you. Yeah, I know what it means. It, it means like get it mixed up, right? I'm pretty sure that's what it means, all right? But no, th this guy, he's doing this to bury me. Because, because I, know, I know how he is. I mean, he, he, this, I'm going to mess up. This is too much responsibility, and I, I, I'm going to mess up, and he's going to yell at me. He's going to fire me, and I'm going to be embarrassed. And, and so it can become a bondage. It all depends on your perspective of the boss. Okay, so let's just look how this plays out. All right, look at what it says in verse 16. Or 15. And it came to pass... That when he was returned, having received the kingdom, then he commanded these servants to be called him to whom he had given money that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Then came the first, saying, Lord, thy pounds hath gained ten pounds. And he said unto him, Well, well thou, good and, thou good servant, because thou hast been faithful in very little, have authority over ten cities." And the second came, saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained five pounds. And he said, Likewise to him, be thou over five cities. Now, these two guys, because of their perception of this guy, this was the best thing that could happen at their work. And they took it, and they ran with it. See, what they did with it doesn't matter. It's the fact that they were motivated with this freedom, this grace, this mercy, this responsibility, this empowerment of we can act like a boss. See, when I worked for that guy, I felt like a boss. Not like a, you know, like I felt like a boss, but like, a, like I was uh, an owner, part owner. And so they did well. Now, let's look at the church person. I mean, let's look at the next guy. It says in verse 20, And another came, saying, Lord, behold, here is your pound, which I have kept laid up in a napkin. Now, here's a guy, he says, this, this, this freedom, this grace, this mercy, this trust, you're not micromanaging, all this that you, you gave me, 
I didn't do anything with it because I had a funny feeling I was going to blow it. I, I, just, I, I was going to choke on my own freedom. I, I, I didn't do anything with it. I, I, just, I, I, I knew that I just wasn't in a good place to do this, and I, I didn't do anything with it. You say, well, why? Why? Look at verse 21. He says, for I feared thee. That word fear means an impediment. That's to have a hindered or obstructed view of something. He was afraid of the boss. You say, now, wait a minute. How could you be afraid of someone that gives you that much freedom, that much, I mean, that, that much opportunity? How could you be afraid of someone like that? He tells us. He says, because thou art an austere man. That is, you are a hard man. He says, thou takest up that thou layest not down and reapest that thou didst not sow. Here's what he says. You are like a hardcore businessman. And, and, and here's what I was afraid of. I was afraid of blowing it. Now, I want you to just compute this logic. If he really believed that this man was a shrewd, hard businessman, why didn't he do business? Are, are you with me? I mean, if you really believe that, that this guy is all about business, why would you do absolutely nothing? See, that's irrational. That doesn't make sense. And in, insecure, insecurity, unhealthy insecurity, always equals in bondage and doing absolutely nothing. Why didn't, I mean, and this is what he gets corrected for. Look, look in verse 22. He said unto him, this is a scary phrase, by the way, out of thine own mouth will I judge thee. In other words, you think I'm that way? That's how you perceive me? Then that's how I'm going to be. That's how I'm going to be. You think I'm a hard man? Well, I'm going to be a hard man, thou wicked servant. Thou knewest that I was an austere man, taking that up that I laid not down, and reaping that I did not sow. Wherefore then gavest thou my money into the bank that at my coming I might have required mine own with usury or with, with interest. And he said unto him that stood by, Take from him the pound and give it to him that hath ten pounds. And they said unto him, Lord, he hath ten pounds. For I say unto you that every one which hath shall be given. And from him that hath not, even that he hath shall be taken away from him. Now here, I want you to get this. Two perception of this man. One perception motivated in excitement about work. The second view of the man led to bondage and doing absolutely nothing out of irrational fears of what this man. And the very thing he feared came to fruit. Listen to this word. I said misconstrued. Listen to this word. Came to fruition. I didn't go to college, but come on, fruition, that's a big one. It came to pass. You say, okay, what's the, what's the application? What, what's the application? What, do you, what are we getting at? Here, here's what we're getting at. If your view of God is wrong, it will always lead to bondage and you doing nothing for his kingdom, which is interesting. I have seen legalists. That God is this, he's judge, he's mean, I mean, we got to keep off. Are the laziest people on the planet when it comes to the real kingdom work. 
I have seen the other way where God is all grace and mercy and he, he, he doesn't do anything, are the laziest people on the planet. Now, I went to church camp this, this uh, year because I love the Lord. And, and here's what happened. We usually go our own week, which is small rural towns. So it's country folk, all right? Well, this week, or this, this year at camp, we went with a different week, and they're more city people. Now, there is a different, nothing against city people, but they're, city people think different than country people. Would you agree with that? Uh, there, there is. There's a, and so it was weird for me. I'm as country as a hayrake. And, and so, so we go and we're all this day. So here's what they did. They had breakouts uh, every, every, every morning where you broke up into all these groups. And I stayed in the chapel because I had air conditioner. I'm that believer, you know. So I stayed in the same breakout all week, but there were different groups of kids. And here's what they did. They gave papers to all the kids, and they said, ask questions about the Bible, about God that you want to know. And then they had a panel of guys with their Bibles up front, and, and they would answer the question. And so they were saying anything. I mean, anything you want to know, anything you're curious about, just write it down and bring it up. We're, you know, don't be embarrassed. And so all the questions came in. The number one topic of every group was what does God say about homosexuality? That was in every group. What does God say about fornication? What does God say about adultery? What does God say about this certain kind of music? And what they were saying is, what does God think about sin? Okay, so you got your panel here. By the way, great guys, great answers. It was pretty obvious why I wasn't up there. These guys were a lot smarter than I am. And here was their answer. God is holy. God is perfect. God is righteous. God, uh, there's no darkness in him, in, in, in him at all. He can't even look at sin. He can't deal with sin. We're sinners. And, and what you're saying is sin, and God hates sin, and he tells us in his word not to do it. And so we shouldn't do it because he tells us not to do it. And they lifted up the and that's true, by the way, and they lifted up the name of Jesus. We have a mediator because we're unholy and we're sinners and he's holy. We can't get to him. And so Jesus came, God sent Jesus to be the mediator between us and God so that we could have fellowship. All that is true. But the question for me, why does God hate sin? Here's the answer. Because it destroys our lives. I mean, he is holy, he is pure, he, there is no, but the reason, you ever thought about why God hates sin? Well, he hates it because he's holy and we're not, and, and when we mess up, oh man, he, he hates it and he's ready to, oh, he, you know, he's like one of those parents that's always like this. You know, when you're in a store, you remember your parent, they couldn't do anything to you in the store and they'd make that. He, he, he's holy, and he knows that I'm not holy, and, and I never will be, and, and Jesus gets annoyed with me because I'm constantly, I'm just a sinner, and we, we get all these insecurities with God. He hates sin because it destroys your life, and it destroys my life. We had a family in Sunray lost a child to drunk driving. I promise you, they hate drunk driving. They hate it with a passion. You say, why? Because it destroyed something that they love. So what does God have against homosexuality? Because it destroys your life. And he's a loving father. And I, I think of, 
I have eight children, and so God's given me a great perspective of, of teaching me the Bible. And so I always put myself in the place of God. Careful there. You know, like, he said he was God. No, I didn't. I just look at it as a father looks at it and how God deals with people as my children. And here's what I understand about my children. They're going to make mistakes. They're, they're going to fail. They're going to sin. They're going to make mistakes. And as long as they realize it's a mistake and as long as they uh, apologize and start down the right track of doing what is right, I can get over that. I correct and we move on. But when they have a heart of rebellion, that's where I have to step in out of love as a father. And here's the point. You say, you're starting to ramble. I know I am. See, the longer you become a pastor, everything reminds you of a story, and you can ramble on and on and on. So, I mean, I can take this for a while. Is we have God up in heaven as this holy, righteous God, and he is, by the way. But he's a heavenly father, and he understands us. And the reason he gives us this book of do's and don'ts is because he doesn't want to see us get hurt. It's not hate speech for me to tell my children, stay out of the street. You could get hurt. It would devastate me if you got hurt. God, folks, listen. God is a loving father. He hates sin, but he understands that we will sin. And if we will repent and turn to him, we're totally restored. Where we get in trouble is when we start to rebel. And here's what I've noticed as a pastor. So many people view God as an unloving, unhealthy father that brings, uh, breeds insecurity into their life. And you know what they do for the kingdom of God? Absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. And I don't want us to be that way. God, listen, with my children, I think you're this way. I don't care what they do. You want to be a zookeeper? You want to be a janitor? You want to be a banker? I don't care what you do as long as you love the Lord and, you, and with all your heart, mind, and soul, and you, you're an honorable citizen. I don't care what you do. See, we put all these yokes on ourselves from God that he never meant for us to carry. He wants us to love him with all our heart and serve him. He gives us so much freedom. He trusts us. What an opportunity. I want you to think about this. And I'm almost done. Can you believe? How long does Jeremy preach typically? Ten minutes? No, I know. How long, really? Seriously. Oh, no, we're not going to do that. If you love the Lord, 30 minutes is good enough, right? What was I saying? What, yeah, I was fixing to close in prayer. That's what I was going to do. I've seen so many people, including myself, are froze in fear because of an improper view of God and do nothing. So many people protect and preserve the very thing that we're supposed to give and use and have the freedom to use. We will be held, and I want you to listen to this, we will be held accountable on our view of God. And so instead of making assumptions, I think we ought to get into the, the word and just ask the question, why does God do what he does? And I'll, here's, the, here's the conclusion. I'll answer this for you. Out of love. Everything he does is out of love. And the fact that he would allow us as Christians to go about his work, even though we're flawed, even though he knows we're going to, 
ought to just empower us. We operate as Christ operates. I'm going to operate as Christ operates. I'm going to do the works of Christ where I work. And I can do it with confidence because he's given me this. He's equipped, he's equipped me for this. And he's given me a great start. And we have a heavenly advocate with Jesus Christ that when we do mess up, we repent and we start over and keep moving for God. Folks, listen, don't be froze in fear because you've put your own personality on God. Here's the facts. We're an unloving, unmerciful, ungraceful group of people, and so we put that on God. What you think, you automatically think other people. You know, I'm a very critical person. I'm the guy, and I work on this, I'm the guy that sits in a restaurant, and I forget my wife is there on a date, you know, you ever, and, and I, I just watch everybody else come in, and I just, I think about, wonder what, how old they are, and how close I can get to their age. This might be a mental disorder, I don't know. How, if, how close I can get to their age, what they do for a living, and then I just thought, I thought, you know, well, look at that guy. Man, how would you like to look like that? How would you like to have hair like that? How would you like to be like And so I'm overly critical, and here's what happens. Everywhere I go, guess what I do? I wonder what they're thinking about me. Uh, they're noticing this about me, I guarantee you. And it changes the way you, you walk. Everywhere you walk, you walk, and then they really do start thinking, you know, because you're paranoid. You know, I'll, I'll, a group of people will be talking over you, and I'll think, they're talking about me. They don't even know who you are and don't care. It's a very, we put our thoughts on other people, and the facts are we've made a God of our imagination that's similar to us. And then we put that on him. And because of that, we are in bondage. We are in bondage. If you have children or grandchildren, that is the greatest picture of God's love. Folks, listen. Can you believe that God loves you more than you love your children or grandchildren? I'm going to believe that by faith. Because that, that, that's, that's hard to believe. He loves us that much. And here's what he tells us. Occupy till I come. Well, what, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? I'll get busy, and I'll lead and guide you along the way. Well, I, I'm not in a place where I can. I, none of us are in the other. I, you're not going to believe this, but a couple of Sundays ago, during the middle of the week, I made a pretty big sin. How many want to know what I did? Well, I'm not telling you because I don't think you'd let me stand up here if I told you. I did a pretty big sin, and so that was in the middle of the week. Well, come Sunday, here I am fixing to preach. You know, and that's a weird, weird place to be. It's the same as a Christian when you're sinning. Now we're going to church. And I got on my knees in my office. No one, you know, obviously no one's around. I said, Lord, I'm just so unworthy to do this. And it's like the Holy Spirit, what was the Holy Spirit said? said, you never were worthy to do this. There's a freedom in that. Now, here's my last point, and I'm done. You say, are you using notes? No. I'm just, I, have you told I've gotten off of the notes? If you see the love of God as a loving father and the freedom that he gives us and, and the advantage that he gives us and that we can act as kings, we can be Christ's in the places that he puts us. If that motivates you to want to sin or that motivates you to want to live against the father, then you've missed the whole concept. A healthy father, you know, my kids play with Legos I don't go in there and say, listen, here's what I want you to do. Get the Legos. 
and I want you to take a, 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 a measuring tape. I want you to make an airplane with those Legos exactly four inches long. And I want that wingspan to be this and this, and it, better, and it better be with these colors, and it better be absolutely perfect. Because if it's not, I'm going to tear it up. And you're going to do it again. I don't do that. They use their imagination that God gave them. And here's what always happens. Dad, Dad, Dad. Look. Look what I did. And what do you, what do, you do as a father? Whoa. You did this? Wow. You don't have a clue what it is, but that's not the point. It's, it's wow. Folks, that's what he gives us the freedom to do, is you go be you. He's wired us all. You go be you. You honor me. You glorify me. When you mess up, you start over and you go again. It's a freedom. That's why the Bible says his yoke is easy and his burden light. And so here's my application and we'll be done. Do y'all do altar calls? What do you do here? He's like, do you know what camera's rolling? I do this all the time at our church. I just act like the camera's not there and the guys back there are always like, I don't know what they're doing. Probably muting me or whatever. Maybe you're here this morning and your unhealthy view of God as an abusive father it's not motivating you to live for him, is it? Mm-mm. Never does. You would think if he's that mean and that abusive that you would be like trying to please him and everyone. But we don't do that. We lock up. Maybe, maybe, maybe you need to be reintroduced to the Bible as a loving, or God, through the Bible as a loving father that loves us so much, the Bible said, that he sent his son to die for us. What's the point of the whole Old Testament? It's a God trying to connect to his people. It's a God trying to protect and connect to his people out of love. It's the point of the New Testament. Maybe you're, you're, you're misconception. I don't know what they are, but I'm, I'm sure they lead to absolutely nothing. I want us to be like I was when I was 16 with God, and that is look at what he enables me to do. Look at what he's trusting me to do. I don't deserve to do this. I'm not in a place to do this, but he lets me do it anyway. I'm telling you, you'll do more for the Lord that way than any other way. Who, what, what do you think of God? Is it of the Bible or of your imagination? That's the question we need to go home and think about. Let's all stand. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to just have a short invitation. Where you're at or come forward, maybe you just need to say, Lord, I need to start over. It started out when I gave my life to you. I was excited. I was working. I was serving. But over time, I've gotten this idea that you're an abusive father. And that's caused me to actually do worse, more sins, more discouragement, more frustration, and that's not what you intended. We need to see God as what he is. Let's just have a short invitation. You come if God has spoken to you. Lord, we come to you this morning and we are so thankful that you love us and we read in the Old Testament and we get the idea that you're a, a mean God that 
and laid all these laws on people, Lord, so that they couldn't accomplish them, so you could judge them. But if we really study the Old Testament and the New, it's a God trying to have fellowship with those that he loves. A God that, that sends word to protect those that he loves. A God that hates sin because he sees it destroy people's lives. A God that hates rebellion because it keeps us from fellowshipping with him. Lord, may we see you in a proper biblical light, Lord, that would actually motivate us to go about kingdom business, to motivate us to have the confidence to occupy till you come, that would motivate us not to do anything that would be unpleasing to you, to be excited to show you what we're doing to honor and glorify you, that we would be, have what the Bible says is a childlike faith, that we would, when we mess up and our sin is dealt with, that we would have the desire to run back into your arms and start over with you, Lord, and start out again with confidence. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't listen to our misconstrued ideas of who you are as an abusive father that puts us into bondage, that causes us to do absolutely nothing for your honor and for your glory, and if anything, causes us to sin more and discouragement. I pray that we would think on these things, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your love. And we thank you for the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And may we with confidence this week go about the Father's business as he did in whatever area he's called us. You've given us the freedom to go and do and be the Lord wherever we are. We love you and thank you for this great opportunity you've given us to be called Christian. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.